0: Let's back it off there that looked Very good, excellent. All right, we're operating the controls here. Captain Marvel is on deck. All right, ready to bop you with a zap gun. There we go, very good. Oh, gee whiz, wow. All right, uh, we've, we have very little time here. It's, uh, it's uh, like we said, it's Monday, and the time is creeping up on us, and we have been remiss this year in our duties. And of course, those duties involve giving you various handy hints and kinks and little tips to make your Christmas sing this year. <laughs> and, uh, we've always felt that, uh, as we continue to, uh, catalog our world, we've always felt that more can be found in the game and the, you know, the little whoopee presents that people give one another, little kid stuff that we just think are trivial, that the, 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 our real world shows itself for what it is in the game department and not in the editorial department. Uh, the editorial department is when man is writing great epitaphs to himself. Uh, this is the department uh, when uh, man is writing uh, calendar slogans uh, under what man should be and what he often really isn't. I, I remember one time we, uh, I got this great game when I was a kid and uh, it was given to me by, by Uncle Tom. It was called Bootlegger. And... Uh, it really was I' have never seen that game again and uh, of course Uncle Tom was a bootlegger he was my bootlegger uncle and naturally you know they it was in the trade I suppose they it was a little uh, you know how every do, every trade has its own trade talk and its own trade terms bootleggers did too and they have their relaxing moments and uh, Uncle Tom gave me this game called bootlegger and uh, it had various uh, little you know how all the games have little symbols. Chess has little pawns, has uh, bishops and all this jazz. Have you ever read any any long and vowed psychological explanation of why chess is considered the greatest game of all? And have you uh, one, of, one of the uh, one of these psychological treaties I read on it was the identification of the players with the various pieces in chess. What do you identify with, a bishop or a pawn? Guess. Okay have to say any more then uh and they're, they're various, uh, they there're various this plays a great great uh great role in the game playing a game game is not greasy kid stuff. we often think that kids uh are who play games no as a matter of fact, children are not capable of the really abstract games uh kids like they they'll play a game called hit Charlie. and that's a big game well everybody hits Charlie then you know the guy that hits Charlie the most and the first one that draws blood gets uh gets three free tries. To hit Charlie in the ear, and uh, <laughs> that's that's it's a very basic kid game. But it, it's it's the adult world where the games get really complex and really involved. And actually, it's adults who buy games for kids. Most kids, when they get a game from a from a parent, get a buzzing in the ear all the time. I, I used to remember these terrible games that my mother was always getting. Games that, of course, that she liked to play. Like there was a, an idiotic game. That, you remember this game where they had they had this big uh, a tube? It was a car, uh, sort of a a cardboard tube, and the top of it screwed off. And they would pour all these sticks out, and they were yellow and red and green and purple sticks. And you were supposed to pick up all the sticks. I played that for roughly, I'd say, two and a half minutes, and that was the end of that game for me. But my mother is still playing it. Uh, she has worn out 17 sets, and every Christmas she threatens to give me another set of this game because I like it so good. And uh, she sits there and picks up little things all the time. And and her life, of course, uh, she came out of a different world. Just we all, we all. Let's face it, every generation comes out of a different world, has its own hang-ups. She came out of that world where uh, where life, where life was totally. You know, there was no, there were no. There were no values at all. She, she was from the flapper scene, you know, and all the flappers are gone, you know. So now they all sit around and they pile up little sticks. They figured that by getting all the sticks piled up, uh, somehow life has meaning. If you get to the... What, what is the name of that game again? Pick Up Sticks. Well, that was a very definite, uh, direct, quote, that now, the game. Now, I remember getting that game and, and it all fell out of, the, out of the little jug. I opened it up and it all came out, all the sticks all over under, under the Christmas tree. And I said, what's this? And my mother says, well, that's that game you've been wanting to play. I says, game I've been wanting to play, Ma? That is not exactly the game I had in mind. The game that I had been wanting to play involved Esther Jane Allberry, and did not involve little sticks. And uh, she says, well, that's the game that, that you've been wanting to play. Let's pick up sticks. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> well, of course, we've got to go through the routine of pretending. So I picked up a few sticks and put them down and picked up some more. And I said, is that it? She says, well, yes, see if you can pick them all up. Well, all of my life I've been picking stuff up. My mother is constantly yelling, pick up your socks and pick up this and that. I should sit there and pick up sticks all day long? And so 20 seconds later, this thing winds up under all the other junk, you know, that's pushed off to one side that, you know, that little stuff that piles up and goes up. Finally, gets under the bed and is never seen me again. It just sort of disappears forever. And, and that was that game. And I'll never forget another game, too, that was given to me. Uh, again, I suspect that games are generally given by adults to kids because they really want to play them. Uh, there was a game that was given to me that came also in. Beware, there's two things you got to be careful of. I, I've learned in life a lot of things to be careful of, but since we don't have enough time here to tell you about all of life, we can just give you a few little handy hints. Be careful of movies where guys write letters with a feather. Yeah, These are Cornell Wilde movies. And they're very bad. They, they. Uh, I've known, I've known people, you know, who, th- who for years thought they had nervous disorders, because of twitches and their eyes and problems and all, everything else. And and my one doctor, for instance, that comes from those movies with the Cornell Wilde playing the piano and all that. He said, be careful of that. Now that's one of the things you got to be careful. of. There's another thing too. There's, uh, that's the kind of game. Uh, <laughs> there, there. Are, you haven't seen the movies where guys write the letters with feathers, big feather there, and he writes and it go... <laughs> And he's always writing to the Duke. That's something to be careful of, too, where they have a guy named the Baron in it. That's not a good movie. That's uh, <laughs> And also, I'd say, as a general rule, steer clear of movies that have Akim Tamirov in them. Those usually cause my feet. Something funny thing with the knee there, too. But that's, that's something else. Uh, is your papers, please. He is always saying. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a terrible scene. I saw a movie one time here a couple of weeks ago, on old, old movie time, where uh, I think it was Robert Mitchum or somebody, Cornel Wilde, well, he was with the Jungle people there, and they were running around, and apparently this this bunch of naive uh, movie people had gone out and hired a bunch of guys to be Jungle. They'd been, be the natives, see? And uh, <laughs> Cornel Wilde was the big hunter or something, and he was there with Yvonne DiCarlo, who he was always with with Yvonne DiCarlo and... And they were doing whatever they were doing, running around and hollering. And he was the he was the big bwana. And the natives were dancing, and and the natives were jumping around and they were hollering, ohoro, ohoro, kasavubu, kasavubu, ohoro. And of course, when that movie was made, those two words were not very well known. What this was was a bunch of. Did you see that? It was a great moment in movies, I'll tell you. And cornell was said, "Natives are restless tonight." And they were going, oh, ho, ho, kasabobo, kasabobo, oh, ho, 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 ah, ho, ah, ho, ma, ma, ho. And it was a really singing moment there on the screen, and that came along there just before a Mr. Clean commercial, right after they had done the preparation H-spot. And I thought that the juxtaposition of all these various values was very highly educational. Of course, there's another kind of game. I received another game that even to this day it bugs me a little bit when I think about getting this. Because, you know, Christmas was a one-time shot in our house. We did not have Christmas every day like some kids do. And it was either, you know, you either make it on Christmas or forget it for a whole year. It was nothingsville. And so I I, I rushed down there, and I I opened this package, a great big thing, big, long, tube like And I opened it up, and, oh, for crying out loud, I was afraid of this. And there it was, and I opened the end of it, and out they came. And there was a whole bunch of sticks. You know, they used to make games out of sticks, and there was a lot of sticks with little round things that looked like spools cut off with holes drilled in them. It was called Tinker Toy. Well, I was pushing 16. And, you know, uh, you, you, don't, you don't really like to scrunch down there under the front porch, believe me, with Dawn Strickland and play with the Tinker Toy set there and make a windmill. And uh, so I had this Tinker Toy set. Now, this was given to me by an aunt, my Aunt Glenn, who once took a good close look at me and noticed that I was three years old. And that's the last time she looked at me closely. And to this day I remain three to Aunt Glenn. And uh of course my my mother, who is her sister, still is seven to Aunt Glenn. So she somehow has been able to stop time in its tracks. And you know, I'll never forget the the, the year that I got out of the army from my Aunt Glenn. And uh, I'm I'm walking around, you know, I'm spitting and yelling. I was still chewing tobacco. You know, after you get in you're in the army for a while and it's like a it's like a like a flywheel effect. You know, I, I, I saw a movie the other night that was funny. It was an old, old movie about you know, but, uh, it was about the post-war world and it had John Payne in it. And John Payne was running around looking pained. Uh, he's, you know, it's funny about how many actors have got about three expressions. Richard Basehart has his worried look, and then he's got his sad smile look. And he turns, he alternates them back and forth. He goes, he finds they fit any given situation. That's called good acting. And uh, (laughs) if you've got those two, you're in you're in business, all right. Anytime you look at Richard uh, uh, Richard Basehart, he's got either one or the other. I I switch back and forth between channels, and John Payne always had his surprise look. You just go back and forth, you can see how it's going. Which depending on what look they're using, they just switch them off and on. You know, some of those actors have little cue cards they carry in their in their little cue buttons. Have you seen those little crickets that you carry? You know, those little metal crickets you go. Well, they carry them in their pocket. And whenever he he hears a cue, you see, he clicks it once for the sad look, and he clicks it twice for the sad smile. And so when she says, I love you, John, he goes, that's the sad look. He's worried. That's very sensitive. That was brought in by Montgomery Clift. There was a time when when, when the chick said she loved you, the guy turned on his happy look. But with the new post-war world and Montgomery Clift and, you know, all the guys afraid of chicks and all that, when she said, I love you, Charlie, you turn on your sad, scared look. And that's the new sensitive school. However, I'm sitting there watching John Payne, and this guy gave a speech. See, Payne had just gotten back from the Army. And the guy's giving the speech, and he says, Well, he said, the trouble with all you young guys been in the Army, you come back, you all kill us. You can't be in the Army for four years and come back after being everywhere at the hell of the war? Come back without being kill us. Well, you know, John Payne is standing there, and he's looking like a killer. You know, John Payne was the least convincing killer this side of Mickey Mouse that I ever saw in my life. And uh, Payne is standing there. He says, yeah, that's right, chief. I'm a killer. You know, I can think of Company K all standing in line in the mess hall. This these, this bunch of angry killers all there, you know. <laughs> and, and, and I thought, well, you know, it's quite true that, that there was a certain amount of residual flywheel effect, but it didn't have anything to do with killing. Usually it usually had to do with your language. And... Uh, It just kept running out, and uh, these words kept coming. After a while, it just was automatic. You'd bark it out like that. I remember one time I'm in school. I went to college. Immediately after, uh, I I was out about four months. I was one of these guys, you know, I got, the instant I got out, I got on the GI Bill of Rights, the 5220 Club. I was milking that good till late in 1961. And so uh, I I, uh, immediately went to college. And this guy in this lab, he caught me unawares, this nice young lab instructor, this blonde looking type, you know, that looked a little like a cross between Jeffrey Lynn, Bob Dylan, and my cousin Mabel. And uh, he was 4F for obvious reasons. And he's standing around there and in the in the chem lab, and he comes over and he says, uh, he says, uh, Shepard, what are you doing? And he said, what, 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 what is that you're doing with that retort? And I turned around, and he says, none of your, and it just came right out. It just boomed out. It was just an automatic reaction. You said that to anybody who, t- who asked you what you were doing in the Army. And it just came out, and he turned green. I don't think he'd ever heard the word before. And the uh, seven or eight ex-GIs around me immediately dove under the desks uh, because, you know, it was just an automatic reaction. They'd figure the next thing you know, the CO would be down yelling and hollering. And it was all residual, see. And so I got out of the Army, and I wasn't out about the, a year and a half, and it was Christmas, and, of course, Christmas time. I went to I went to my mother. You know, I was uh, coming home for Christmas, and I said, "Hey, Ma, can I have a three-day pass? It's Christmas. I want to split." And then I realized, no, I was where I was supposed to be. Wanting to go for Christmas, you know, this is home. So I said, "Gee, it's Christmas," and all the presents came in. They all piled up, and the next thing I know, I got this Christmas present from my aunt Glenn. Well, I had just come out of the army. I had this fantastic vocabulary, and I was still eating K rations. All you know, they were tapering me off slow. And uh, I opened up the Christmas present and it was a pair of bunny slippers. And they had ears on them. And uh, they had these two eyes and I opened them up, you know, and the first thing I did, I ripped it off and I saw these things and I thought it was a booby trap. First thing that happened and I dove under the day bed and yelled for everybody to hit the dirt. And uh, my mother says, oh, how sweet. And you know that those bunny slippers have dogged me ever since. Every once in a while, my mother calls up and says, Aunt Glenn called and asked, do I like my bunny slippers? And are they still working good? If they're not, you buy me another pair. Well, of course, I put them in in my closet. And you know, the funny thing about those bunny slippers was that they multiplied. Uh, <laughs> it's a terrible saying. Speaking of... Uh, speaking of secure... This is WORAM at FM New York. There we're Charlie. talking with the 2,500-year-old brewmaster today, and we're going to find out a few things about the way beer used to be made. Sir, you must remember... I once heard a story about how they made beer, beer in the old... Were there the any beer? problems? Foam foam (laughs) foam foam too much foam the first beers were all bubbly blubbly lovely with foam just full of foam there was hardly any beer there was maybe an inch of beer at the bottom of the glass and the rest of it was (laughs) in other words there was too much head on the beer right and what we wanted was more body especially feet in our beer feet. Sure, we used to go in for a beer and we'd say, put a foot in it or I'll punch in the shoulder, Charlie. Well, today's beer is different. Like, like, Valentine beer has just the right amount of head and the beer, of course, has more spirit to it. It's got feet in it, too. It's ten feet tall. If you want to start living a life that's like the earth, live it with spirit. Valentine beer, there's more spirit to it. Yeah, I wonder I wonder if anybody else saw that. I will award you a brass fig gee with bronze oak leaf palm. If you can tell me, in the name of dynamic late, late TV film trivia, if you can tell me the name of that film, it was a wild scene. I remember it now. They're all jumping around. They're going, oh, yo oh, 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 And once in a while, one guy would would jump up and look right at the camera, holler, cross of oh, oh, oh. And of course, uh, I'm sure that the director says, "Just get all the, get all them Africans. Just get all them natives around there, and have them jump around and holler native words." <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing. I, I, I knew I knew a film. I, I suppose I shouldn't tell you, because uh, a lot of these things I suppose are, are confidential. But I knew a film writer who uh, who used to stick all kinds of fantastic obscenities in one thing and another in his films. But he did it in the guise of, uh, of foreign languages, uh, the esoteric foreign languages, like he would have an Eskimo holler or something. And the Eskimo would say in eskimo ease, he would tell the movie audience what they could do to themselves, as far as he was concerned. And everyone would sit around. <laughs> oh, man, I know one guy that got a camel to do something great one time. And I said, well, that's, that's enough of that. Do we, do we have any more of those little whoopies in there? Oh, we've got Rover with us. And uh, for those of you who are... Hey, listen, I saw an ad. Nobody told me anything about it. I saw the ad that at the Langton, which is one of the rover dealers here in uh, Manhattan, they have the famous rover turbine or turbine car on display, which is an extremely interesting machine. It's, uh, It's probably the most advanced turbine automotive development anywhere in the world, and it's on display here in town. And for those of you who don't know about the rover, they're probably the most... Engineering conscious automobile concern in the business today. And the Rover 2000 is probably their best product, at least uh, on the mass market. Uh, speaking of Uhuhu and Casabubu, uh, uh, all those cars that you see running around mowing down uh, the revolutionaries in most of those old movies are Land Rovers. <laughs> if you want to know what it is they run over the rhinoceroses with, it's a Land Rover, Jack. Uh, this Land Rover makes the American Jeep, Jeep, you know, you know, the the one that's supposed to be so fantastic. The Land Rover makes the Jeep really look like that it was made by the Tinker Toy Company. It's a great piece of business, and if you are interested in a really fine car, we would recommend the Rover 2000, which is a great Grand Turismo, magnificent machine. And that leads us also. If uh, if I sound particularly uh, on the muscle tonight, it's because you're. FM Tuner is drifting again, and you're listening to the station that's just to the left of me, uh, where those guys call in all the time and talk to this guy and say, Hey, Brad, why don't they do something about the street up here in Fordham Road? And not only that, only civil rights. Uh, That's not me. Uh, And I would suggest that you find out about what the trouble is by going down to the electronic workshop where they sell the great KLH equipment. And if you're planning to pop for Hi-Fi for Christmas... Heaven help you unless you see the people at the electronic workshop because they'll be there after Christmas. They will not fool their little tent like Arabs and steal away after they've made the kill. Uh, they're there. They have a good service department. They stand behind their stuff. And more than that, uh, they they treat you like, you know, like uh, you can add up to, you know, two and two makes seven and all. They'll pretend like you're a person. And that's all you can hope for today. It's... 26 West A Street in the village. They deliver, uh, they will install, and they will make it run. And uh, they have on display all the KLH equipment, which is great. Uh, their number is Gramercy 30140. And what other note we have here, I have been reminded to remind those of you out there, let's see, I have a uh, official-looking uh, placard here. It says WSOU Radio presents WOR Monologist. What is that? Is that another one of those ethnic bits that they're running over there? Gene Shepard on stage. Thursday, December 16th, 8.30 p.m., Student Center Lounge, Seton Hall University, South Orange, New Jersey. And we hope to have a a genuine outpouring of true, spontaneous love. And I'll return in kind. Uh, The tickets will go first come, first serve. And speaking of first come, first serve, one more thing, too. Uh, I, I got a, a great letter from a lady about the piece in the current Playboy, my Christmas piece in the Playboy magazine. She said it was very hard for her to get the Playboy for this kid, Bob, and she says you know it's difficult to mask out 274 other pages, and she says she was able to <laughs> she was able to do that by disguising all the other pages with pictures of fold-out Santa Clauses and that. And she says, the kid has read the short story over nine times, and he sleeps with it. Well, I suspect he knows more about Playboy than she does. And if you have not read the story, it's in the current Christmas issue, and there are just two more days, and it'll be off the stand the 15th. And if you've missed it, then it's too bad. Don't come and weep on me. Okay? All right. Very good. Now, let's get back to games, the various types of games that are available today. I received them in the mail. I think this is kind of fun, you know. Tell us a little bit about... Would you please give me my Christmas music in there, Bob? little Merry Christmas music, you know. <laughs> well, hold it there, just a minute. There, you just got, that's my Muzak version of Christmas. That's non-denominational. Have you noticed one of the big stores here in town? As its Christmas display has an enormous salute to Turkey... Uh, not Turkey, really, to the Middle East. I They have a phrase out there for Christians in the Middle East. It's called infidel dog. And uh, I, I noticed that they have that written in Arabic in one of the displays with the music. You know, it's going... That's having your cake and eat it, too. Almost said something else. All right, now, would you please bring me my Muzak version of Christmas? This is. A, I wonder how many writers knew back in the 19th century, or even in the 18th and through a little part of the 17th century, that they were writing Christmas music. This is Christmas music now, friends. Non-denominational. Non-controversial. Incidentally, the word Christmas is becoming controversial. That no longer appears on most announcements. It's the era, or they usually call it, uh, the holiday of good feeling. That is, if you can get away from the sound of clubs hitting heads and, and uh, the sound of, uh, you know, it's various other things. We will, we will have a brief ceasefire for four hours during the good feeling holidays. I'll just bring it up back. those of you who are casting to and fro, looking for ideas of what to put underneath that Christmas tree if you're going to have a really hip Christmas, here's a suggestion for a game, which I received a folder of, and it looks very exciting. Above it is a a little cut that shows a group of boys gathered in the, what looks to be like the Salvation Army on Christmas Eve, and one guy is saying to the other guy, they've got a great big pot, and somebody's stirring it and he says every Christmas it's toiki. turkey, Turkey turkey. every Christmas it's turkey. Wrong. This year it's Bring it up, Big. Very good there. Can't you see those little fairies dancing in the automatic elevators? Bring it up. <laughs> oh my. There we go. Oh, they're celebrating Christmas Eve tonight. <laughs> Da-da-tee, da-da-tee You should see how Christmas is celebrated Da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da At Cherry Grove da 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 -da -da. Bring it down there Wrong, friends, this year The big in-game for Christmas is Blitzkrieg Or should I say Blitzkrieg The magnificent new war battle game Members of our design staff shown that left writhed in dismay during one of the many climactic points in Blitzkrieg. Largest Avalon Hill battle game ever. Where is your papers? And not only that, if you do not want to play Blitzkrieg, you can play Battle of the Bulge that American generation must say what was it he said noots to our great core yeah better of the bulge and squander the game for born losers what does that tell us let's the game of lightning warfare air power sea maneuvers infantry armor marine ranger air force artillery and assault tactics you ask for it. Now, here it is. Blitzkrieg, the embodiment of every aspect in the art of wargaming. Never before has a battle game been designed that covers such a broad scope of military strategy. In Blitzkrieg, you're not just a corps commander. You're the commander-in-chief, the big cheese. A nation's fate is in your hands. You guide the destiny of your country's entire military force. Blitzkrieg is basically a two-player game. But because there are so many troop units, nearly 400, about any number of subordinate commanders can participate, up to 400. The two major powers, Great Blue and Big Red are separated from each other by C and five minor powers. Both players quickly engulf the minor countries, sometimes at considerable loss, to reach the ultimate goal of complete annihilation of the enemy of occupation of his country. The first one who annihilates the minor powers wins. Oh, wow. Do you feel, friends, sometimes that you're a minor power in the great blitzkrieg of life? Midway, authenticated by Rear Admiral C. Wade McCluskey, Air Group Commander during actual battle episode. Now you too can play Midway. All of you who were 4F during the big show, now can enjoy this game to its utmost. Have every thrill that those who were actually on the scene participated in. You and the safety of your own living room can now be shot down at Midway by the Japanese battleship Yahagi Maru. Midway, the greatest upset in model naval warfare. With technical assistance from real admirals, we have recreated the true-life situation as it existed June 1942. And from here on, you take command. You guide your task forces in search of the enemy. And once located, your tactical ability and naval air warfare spells either victory or defeat for your country. complete with search board, battle board, hip record sheets, all accessories. Harakiri instructions included. That is if you are on the other side. And for those of you who are classical-minded, Waterloo, 150th anniversary, that was a fun campaign. It is 7 a.m. June 16th, 1815, and you stand on what is to become the most famous battlefield of all time, shown on a large 22 by 28 map board, which correctly reproduces the geographic situation where the battles of Quatre Bras, Ligny, and Waterloo were fought. Waterloo is played to complete annihilation of one side or the other. losses may be by conflict or by defection of hired mercenaries from the Prussian Anglo-Allied side. An historically accurate order of appearance card lets you introduce troops into play exactly as they appeared in the real conflict. Game is complete with historical commentary on hints on how to handle the shifting tactical situations for two players. Are you Napoleon or who are you? Tactics 2, the game that started it all. An original game of military modern strategy, including atom weapons. Afrikakor, the game most requested by devotees. A recreation of the feigned exploits of that well-known fun guy, Rommel, the desert fox. You'll command the original brigades and regiments, even supply wagons, SS troops. Refight the real battles, including Tobruk, El Alamein. You'll get a realistic-looking terrain map, complete with blood and broken bodies. (laughs) D-Day, the World War II battle for an entire continent. We all know what fun John Wayne and Red Buttons had on that one. You commanding all the major battle units in the original campaign, an authentic recreation of history, with your skill and judgment determining the output and the outcome. Are you a member of the Allied Corps, or are you one of the trap commanders of the German Great War of Festung Europa? If you are, you can win this time. It's going to be a fun Christmas. Uh, reset that there. I think we just have a look. That was very good. You want to hear some more of those great games that are out? You wouldn't believe it. These are all games that guys are going to be... How about this one? This is kind of a nice one. Yes, that's a little romantic here. Very good. That's it. Just a little touch. And now we recreate for you. The romantic Russian steps. Mother Russia. That great, vast, gray sky hanging over the enormous subcontinent, Stalingrad. Developed from captured military records in government files, an authentic recreation of Germany's World War II campaign in Russia, players refight this famous conflict on realistic map board with troop counters representing the actual units that took part, including the famous Death's Head Division, which you can command in this historic recreation of fun. Get back at the Russians this time. Management. The world of business in a box. (laughs) I can't go on. Management has been in a box ever since I've known them. the world of business in a box, you guide the destiny of a gigantic corporation as you buy, sell, erect factories, manufacture products, issue stock, make loans. You're in the president's chair, and there is plenty of wheeling and dealing as you try to avoid both bankruptcy and the FBI. Includes game board, money, all accessories, and instructions. Play this Christmas, Billy Solestis. U-boat, fast action game of undersea warfare. Authentic action with torpedo runs, evasive maneuvering, sonar searches, drowned innocence, depth charge runs, as destroyer escort tries to keep sub from reaching convoy area. Complete large 22 by 28 maneuvering board, miniature ships, accessories, and rules single action and exciting multi-ship play, including one Clark Gable player board. Gettysburg, the turning point of the Civil War, re-fought with you this time in command. All the original troops and fighting units take part, maneuvered by you over an authentic map board of this classic battlefield. Your skill, your daring, can reverse the course of history. Get rid of that civil rights bill. Bismarck, a unique game recreating one of the great naval battles of World War II. Played on two different boards. A search board as the Royal Navy tracks down the sneaky Bismarck. And the battle board used when the fleet comes to grips with this great Nazi battleship. You can be a Nazi captain in this game. For two players aged 12 through adult. Strategy. Like all things, baseball and baseball games have changed. There was a time when children played baseball and pretended they were Roger Maris, Babe Ruth, or Mickey Mantle. But now you are the owner of a second division ball team. Connive against the front office. Can you outmaneuver Joe Cronin? The game of inside baseball with you as field manager and owner. You plan the lineup from a 25-man roster, send up pinch hitters, call for hit and run, and also deal with intricate rule changes from the front office of the National League. You can be Charles O. Finley. Be soothed by Milwaukee in the last final phase of this exciting game. Move your franchise to Pittsburgh and gain 27 million extra points with TV residual rights. Verdict. Exciting game of tense courtroom drama. Prosecute or defend cases using authentic legal principles and actual courtroom procedures as gained from hours of watching various television programs. You introduce evidence, cross examine witnesses. Unique verdict wheel as players act as both judges, defendant, and and accused has a familiar ring, hasn't it? Yes, this game, as we all know, is being played in many southern courtrooms today. Verdict two. Yeah, I thought you'd kind of like that. Kind of fun, isn't it? She is. Angry little old ladies calling. Oh. Angry kids calling we were playing Blitzkrieg. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, it, it, it never would have occurred. I, although, I'll tell you, in, in some way, I, I, there was a suspicion. I must point out there was a suspicion. I, 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 I'm I, going to tell you a, a, an actual line that I, I remember. It's funny how your memory can remember two or three disjointed pieces of dialogue out of the past. I remember one time I was on a march with about 16,000 other guys. And we're on in a long line. And we are marching uh, between two rows of hills. And it was kind of like uh, what they call an enfilade. It's kind of like a little valley, see? And we're marching down through these hills. And you could see the trees growing on up, up, all the way up to the top. And kind of dark and gray. The wind was blowing down. And the temperature stood at about 7,000 degrees. Oh boy, was it hot. And each time your foot would hit the ground, great clouds of dust would envelop you. And we've been marching along like that for, oh, maybe two, three hundred years, I'd say. Your brain goes to sleep, everything. And nothing works, just your feet and your, you know, your heart and all the other little things, little machinery going inside there, and you just clunk, 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 clunk. And and you could taste the dust. And after a point, you know, you don't even really taste the dust. The dust is just a normal part of that. It's just the air. the dust is coming in and going out. And about every hour, it seemed somebody, you'd hear it coming from way up in back or way up in front. You'd hear these guys on oh, fire! take down, take down. Ah, we'd all dive into the bushes and lay back on our pack. And uh, this is big pack, so there's is a field pack, weighed 68 pounds. Remember that figure exactly. For some reason or other, the army is is delighted with figures. The army likes to ask you how much your pack weighs. You have to fill it in when you're passing little tests on basic training. 68 pounds. And uh, they ask you how many tent pegs you've got. You have to write down. I remember eight, eight. Now why do I remember? I had eight tent pegs. I just remember always counting my tent pegs because I knew that whenever we had a full field inspection, I better have eight. If there wasn't eight, there was more of this yelling and hollering and all. And so I got my 68-pound pack, and I've got my carbine and my big tin hat, and I've got my canteen, and I've got my gas mask hanging down there. And we're slogging through this this darkness. It kept getting darker and darker. We had been marching since before the crack of dawn, and now it is it's getting close to 8, 9 o'clock at night. And it's been a forced march, one of those kind of things where they want to make 25 miles in one day, and this, the the stuff is rising. And once in a while, somebody would remember to cough. And uh, it's uh, uh, it's 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 now at a at a stage where it's totally automatic. Just clunk 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 clunk. We've been doing this for three days. Clunk 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 clunk. You don't even think about it. Clunk 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 clunk. And ahead of me is this guy who is six feet nine. And it's Gasser. He's up ahead of me there, and he's got his he's got his net over his helmet. You know the net, the, the camouflage net. And he has a couple little chunks of weed sticking down. And he's up there ahead of me, and I could see the the back of his pack was crooked. And every once in a while, I'd reach out, I'd reach down, I'd pull it down. See, he had this he had this entrenching tool sticking up, sticking way up off to one side, and he was digging him in his right shoulder blade. And every once in a while, he'd turn around, he'd say he'd say uh, pull my pack. And then I'd reach up and I'd go, mm! I'd pull it down, it would slide down, I'd see it slowly. And, you know, you get to the point where this is what you watch. You don't watch anything else. You just watch Gasser's pack slowly working up his behind, you know, going up like that. And tilting to the one side, and to the left. He had a, he had a, uh, one of his uh, straps had uh, gotten torn, it was sprung. And that's why his pack was moving sideways all the time. He'd go, pull up my pack! And I'd reach up and I'd pull it down. And clunk, 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 clunk. And once in a while, one of these planes would go over, and they had these the uh, various types of reconnaissance planes, and they would lay right down over us, about 16 feet over the top of us, and they'd go, Whoa. oh boy, they'd blow more crud in our face, these lousy Air Force guys, you know, and they did it on a purpose, you know that that's why they had that big fan in the front there, just to kick up the dirt in everybody's eyes and stuff. and this guy would lay down more oil and crud across and. You, and then it would be about 45 obscene gestures towards the airplane. And finally, after about 17 million hours of this, Gasser turns to me, and all the, uh, the sweat is running down his face, and it's made big lines all over in the in the yellow clay. And of course, I'm peering out of my little pile of yellow clay with the feet hanging out the bottom of it, which is me. And behind me, Edwards is clunking along, and everybody from Company Caney turns around, and he says, Hey, Shep! And he says, What do you want? Gasser says, how do you like? You know, you you can't talk and do this at the same time really good. He says, how do you like? I said, how do do I like what, Gasser? Get it out. He says, how do you like? How do you like showbiz? I said, why do I like showbiz? And suddenly it occurred to me that I was in the showbiz. And I turned back, and I says, uh, I says, hey, Edwards, have you told your agent yet what they're feeding us? Why don't you get that son of a gun on the phone, and let's see if get him on a stick. Yes, showbiz. Play Blitzkrieg, friends. WORAM and FM, New York. Next, Lester Smith with the news. Today, when a product doesn't live up to its promise, who cares? And when you take the trouble to express your disappointment, who cares? You know how common it is to hear people say, I couldn't care less. But there is one other thing you should know. We care at A&P. If you buy anything at A&P that doesn't meet your expectations, tell us. We'll not only refund your money, We'll turn around and go to work on the problem and pursue the matter right to the source. Just tell your A&P.